As we have seen, when a man is ignes or mafata another woman, he either forces or seduces her to have relations with him, there are a number of payments which he needs to pay. One of them is the knas, the fine of 50 silver coins, and that is always exactly the same amount for anybody. On the other hand, there are also payments such as beishes, for the shame which one caused the woman and Pagan, the amount that she went down in value. And in the case of Oines, there's also Tsar, the amount of pain which one caused them. For those three payments, it varies. And we learnt early on in the Perak how to calculate it, but for each situation it will be a different amount. On the other hand, Kanas is always a fixed amount. Now the focus of this Mishnah is to explain a important rule which differentiates between a Kanas and the other payments. And that is, Kanas Potter. If somebody confesses to owing a kanas, he's exempt. Only if there are witnesses who can testify that he did something which makes him liable to pay a kanas, only in that case would the base then obligate him to pay that fine. Now when it comes to every monetary payment, we need to judge whether that is considered to be a fine, a kanas, or something else. So what exactly would the definition be? So firstly, a monetary payment which is not a kanas is known as momoin. And momoin essentially is compensation. For example, pagam. That's the amount that the oinus has to pay based on how much she went down in value. So he is essentially compensating her for the damage which she caused. And that's why momoin is always going to vary. Based on the situation, it's not going to be a fixed amount. On the other hand, a kanas is after the compensation. Once you're already compensated, the Torah obligates you to pay extra. That's a fine, it's a fixed amount often, and the point is it's not compensation, it's more of a punishment, or perhaps an atonement, or perhaps a way of the Torah preventing you from committing the same Aveira again, but the point is it's not compensation. Now one example of a kanas is when one steals something. The Torah obligates a thief to not only pay back the item which he stole, but also its value, so he ends up paying back double. That's known as Tashlume Kefel, double payment, so that extra, the double, is considered to be a kanas. The actual item or its value, that would be compensation, so that would be momen. Whereas the second time that he's paying, the double, the Tashlume Kefel, that would be a kanas. Another example is that the Torah says if somebody steals an ox or a sheep, so he's got the regular law of a thief, that he has to pay back double. But as well as that, if he goes and then sells that on, or if he slaughters it, then the Torah says that in the case of an ox, he has to pay back five times its value, not just double its value, five times its value. And in the case of a sheep, he has to pay back four times its value. And again, those added payments are certainly not compensation. Compensation is the value of the animal itself. This is rather considered to be a kanas, a fine. Now, when the Torah is talking about Tashlumei Kefel, the Pesach says, Asher Elohim, or Elohim, we're referring to the Beistin, the judges on the Beistin, if they find a man guilty of stealing, then Yishalim Shnaim Ehu, he must pay back two times its value to his friend who he stole from. And we learn from there that specifically in a situation where the Beistin find him guilty, based on the testimony of witnesses, then he has to pay back Tashlumei Kefel. However, if he himself finds himself guilty and he confesses to Beistin without witnesses coming, then he would not have to pay back the double. And we learn from there to all other cases of a Kanas, that Moideh Kanas Potter, one who confesses 
to owing a kanas is exempt from paying it. Ho'aymer one who says, Petisias bidishol pleini, I was mefate so-and-so's daughter. Meshanim boishu fagamapiatzmoi, he does need to pay for the shame and the amount that he caused her to go down in value based on his own testimony, because that is mammon, that's compensation. But if Einim shanim kanas, he would not pay the kanas of 50 silver coins, since he admitted and confessed himself. On a similar note, Ho'aymer one who says, Gonavti, I stole something, either an ox or a sheep, the Tovachti umocharti, and I slaughtered it or I sold it. Meshalim is al he needs to pay the value of the animal itself, based on, on his own testimony, but the Einim Shalim Tashlimay Kefel, he would not pay the double payment, the Tashlimay or the payment of four or five times the value, since that is a kanas. Another example, Hamis Shuriyas Polini. If he says that my ox killed so-and-so, in such case there is a payment known as Kaifer, which is the exact value of the man who he killed. So the Mishnah understands that that is considered to be compensation, since it's its exact value. Or if he says that his ox killed a Shurishal Polini, somebody else's ox, Haizem Shalmapi Atzmai, he would need to pay based on his own testimony because that payment is Mama and it's compensation. However, if he says Hamis Shuri Avdishal Polini, my ox killed so-and-so's slave, we're talking about a non-Jewish slave, in such a case the Torah prescribes a fixed amount of 30 shekel, 30 shkolim, which he must pay the owner of the slave. So since it's a fixed amount, it's not based on his exact value. So it's not compensation, it's considered to be kanas, and therefore Einam Shalom Piatzmai, he would not pay based on his own testimony and confession. Zahaklol, this is the rule. Kolom Shalom Yosal Mashahizik, anybody who has to pay more than the exact value that he damaged, or a different amount, he does not need to pay based on his own testimony because it's considered to be kanas and we have a rule of maida be kanas potter. The first Mishnah of this fourth Perek continues the topic of the previous Perek. And after that, for a few Mishnahs, the Mishnah discusses the general rights which a father has over his daughter, and until what age. And then the second half of this Perek discuss the various rights and responsibilities which a husband has towards his wife. But firstly, the Perek begins, Narosh and Ispatsa. A Na'ara, that's a woman between the age of 12 and 12 and a half, who was seduced and convinced to have relations. Somebody was her. So the three payments which he must pay, Boshtar, for the shame which he caused her, for Gomar, and the Pagam, the amount that she went down in value, Ukanosa, and the fine of 50 silver coins, Shel Ovihar, that goes to the father, as we have learnt until now. So these are the three payments of a mafateh, but we learn that there is a fourth payment when it comes to a, an oines, somebody who forces a woman to have relations with him, and that is v'hatsa'ar batfusa, the payment for pain, in the case where a woman is literally grabbed, that refers to a case where she is forced to have relations, that payment would also go to her father. But what happens if the father dies? Says the Mishnah, on the Wadin, if she stood in judgment, meaning she claimed the payments at Bastin, and Bastin ruled that he needs to pay her father, and that all happened at Shalome Sa'av, before her father died, then even if the father didn't manage to collect the payments yet, since the Bastin ruled that the payments belong to him, and that he is entitled to the payments, Harahin Sha'av, they belong to the father, such that Me Sa'av, if the father then dies, Harahin Sha'av, it would belong to the brothers of this woman. They are the sons of her father. 
So they inherit the father, and since the payments were entitled to the father, they would receive all of those payments. However, if she didn't manage to stand in Beistin, and for them to rule that the father is entitled to the payments, she did not manage to do that until her father died, then the Beistin would rule that they belong to herself. And we're talking specifically about the Kanas. Since the Kanas has nothing to do with compensation, so only once the Beistin rule that the man needs to pay her the Kanas, does that Kanas exist in the world. Before the Beistin rule that he is obligated to pay the Kanas, there is no Kanas. And so the father's inheritors are not able to inherit the Kanas before the Beistin have ruled that he is liable to paying the Kanas. On the other hand, compensation, even without Beistin ruling that he has to compensate, there is a concept that he has to compensate her. And so Boishas and Pagam and Tsa'ar, which are considered to be Momen, compensation, the brothers would always get that because they would inherit it from the father. Because it's considered to be the father's, even before the Beistin rule that the Onus Umafate is obligated to pay. But when it comes to the Kanas, if the father died before the Beistin ruled that he is liable to pay the Kanas, then he would have to pay the Kanas, Harahenshul Atzma, they would belong to her. He would have to pay the Kanas directly to her, and it would not go to the inheritors of her father. On a similar note, on the Badin, Ajle Bogra, if she stood in Beistin and the Beistin obligated him to pay before she became a Begeres, a Bulgaris is a fully matured woman above the age of 12 and a half who has exited the authority and the power of her father. And we learned in the previous Perek that if she is a Bulgaris at the time that she had the relations, then there is no Kanas at all. However, if she was a Nara at the time of the relations, and she was still a Nara when she went to Bastin, then Harry Hinshel Av, the payments go to the father. And because of that, Mesa Av, if the father then died after the Bastin said that he is entitled to the payments, then Harry Hinshel Achin, the brothers would be entitled to it because they would inherit it from their father. However, if she did not manage to stand in judgment, and the Bastin didn't yet rule that he is liable to pay until she became a Begeres, so now she is no longer under the authority or power of her father. And therefore, when Bastin ruled that the Oynes Fumafata are liable to pay, Harahinshul Atzma, they would be obligated to pay it to her, and she herself would receive the Kanas. So according to the Tanakama, it all depends on the time that she goes to Bastin, and Bastin rule that he is liable to pay. However, Rabbi Shimon, Rabbi Shimon says, it depends on when the money is collected. So even if the Bastin ruled that he is liable to pay, but they didn't manage to collect the money until the father died. Also in that case, the payment would go to her, because it is not considered to belong to the father until it actually reaches his hands. The Torah says that that the man has to give the fine to the father of the Nara. And we learn from there, according to Rabbi Shimon, that only once he actually gives it to the father, does it belong to the father. But until then, it does not belong to him such that if the father dies, the inheritors of the father would not get it, rather she herself, the woman who had relations, would receive the kanas. So that now brings a close to the discussion of a previous Perek regarding an Oynes and a Mafateh. And the Mishnah ends off with an introduction to the coming Mishnayas, which discuss the rights of a father over her daughter. And the Mishnah tells us that Maiseyodeha, that which a woman makes or earns, and Umtsi also literally means, and that which she finds. But the Gemara explains that the Mishnah is saying that that which she makes and earns is considered to be like 
that which she finds. The halach is that the father of a katana and a nara, so if she's up to the age of 12, or if she's between 12 and 12 and a half, anything which she makes, earns, or finds belongs to her father. And the Mishnah says, even if she hasn't yet collected that which she earned, it is considered to be like that which she finds. Something which she found, there's no next stage of collecting it. If she finds it and takes it, so it already belongs to the father. So too, something which she earns, even before she has collected that wage, that salary, it already belongs to the father, and therefore may sa'av. If the father dies, it would belong to her brothers, who would inherit it from her father, since the father did already own it, even before she collected it. Now, as we have learned several times already, a girl up to the age of 12 years old, who is not yet matured yet, is known as a katana. And now we're going to add that she is considered to be totally in her father's authority and under his power and domain. A begeres, we're skipping to the third stage now, who has fully matured from the age of 12 and a half, 12 years and six months, she is totally outside of her father's domain and power. Whereas a Nara, who is in the middle, she is maturing between the ages of 12 and 12 and a half. For certain things, she's considered to be under her father's authority, and for for certain things, she's considered to be in her own authority. But for now, we will consider her to be in her father's authority. Now, as well as a woman turning 12 and a half years old and becoming a begeres takes her out of her father's authority, if she gets married, and we're talking about fully married, Kedushin and Nisuin, then she is considered to be in her husband's authority and no longer in her father's authority. And even if her husband then dies or divorces her, she will not go back to her father's authority and power. She'll be in her own domain. Now, this Mishnah discusses the right which a father has to his daughter's kasuba. Now, once the daughter has been married fully, the father has no rights over her. So the only time that a father would have rights to her kasuba is if she was only, she only received kedushin, that's the first stage of marriage, so she hasn't totally left her father's authority. And although in general, a kasuba is only written at the time of the nisuin, there are certain opinions who hold that it's written even at the time of kedushin, and that if she becomes divorced or widowed, even from kedushin erisin, she would receive a kasuba. Alternatively, it could be that he's not obligated to write it at the time of kedushin, but nevertheless he did, and he obligated himself that if she would be divorced or widowed, even before the nisuin, then she would receive the kasuba. So the Mishnah says, Amaris is bitoy, one who gives his daughter in erisin. Erisin is the same as kedushin. As the first stage of marriage where the man acquires the woman. And then Vagersha, he divorced her. And even if it happens again, Ersa, the father allows somebody to be to do Kedushin on her. And then Venice Armala, she is widowed from that man, again before the stage of Nisuin. Kusubasa, the money which she receives from the Kasuba from both of these men, Shaloi, belongs to the father. That's one of the rights which the father has, as long as his daughter is still in his domain. However, his see of Gersha, if the man fully married her and they went through the stage of Nisuin and then he divorced her, and then somebody else, his seer, the father married after somebody else when it's Armala and she was the widowed from that man her kasuba which she receives from both of these men would belong to her since the second that she gets married she is no longer in the domain of her father Rabbi Yehuda, Rabbi Yehuda says, Harishayna, the kasuba which she gets from the first man, Shal'av, belongs to her father, since that kasuba was written while she was still in the domain of her father. It was written just before the marriage. So at the time that the man obligated himself to pay that amount of money, if she is divorced or widowed, so she was still in her father's domain and authority, and therefore he would receive that kasuba money. Amrulai, but the Chachom said back to Rabbi Yehuda, Mishesiyah, as soon as she gets married, in love Yerushuspa. 
her father has no authority over her. So since they're writing the kasuba right before the marriage, so he's certainly obligating to give the money to her. And so the father would not have any rights to the kasuba which she receives from marriage. Mr. Gimel, this Mishnah talks about a moitzi shemra. A moitzi shemra is somebody who performs kiddushin on a basula, a woman who hasn't had relations before. And then during the period of erusin, which is before they are fully married, he comes to Bastin and claims that he has witnesses who testify that the woman who he performed kiddushin on had relations with another man after she was already his arusa. So the Torah says that if he is correct and the witnesses are found to be true, then instead of receiving the regular death penalty for a woman who commits adultery, which is chenek, strangling, she receives a more severe punishment of skila being stoned. As well as that, the Torah says that she should be stoned not in the regular place where Bastin would stone people, but rather by her father's house in order to shame the family. So that is if the husband was telling the truth. However, if the husband is found to be lying and making false accusations, this is known as Moitzi Shemra. He's bringing out a bad name about his wife and he would be obligated to pay that woman's father 100 silver coins. And again, we're talking specifically about Anara, who is still in her father's domain. And this is the concept of Moitzi Shemra. Now, when the Torah talks about this, it says that he is obligated to pay her, and it calls her Basulas Yisrael, a Basula who is part of the Jewish people. And again, when it talks about the punishment which she would get if she indeed was guilty, it says Ki Osasan Vola Yisrael. She did a terrible thing in the Jew- amongst the Jewish people. And the fact that the Torah is emphasizing this teaches us that Hagiyores Shenisgayra Bito Imar. A woman who converts together with her daughter, we're talking about a daughter who is under the age of three years old, and therefore she's still considered to be a basula, and since she's under the age of three years old, so she would generally convert together with her mother, she wouldn't be able to convert herself. She's too young. The point is, even though she is a basula, and she is right now Jewish, when she grows up to be between the ages of 12 and 12 and a half, and she is a nara, vizinsa, if she commits adultery during the Arisen period, harizo bechenek, she be punished by the death penalty of strangulation, which is the regular punishment for a woman who was married and had relations with another man. In addition, the law that she needs to be killed at the entrance of her father's house does not apply to her. And if the husband was found to be lying, he would not be obligated to pay the 100 silver coins. Now, when the Torah talks about the punishment which happens to a regular Jew who is not a convert, so she would be stoned. And by the way, she is known as a Naira Hama'erosa. A Naira Hama'erosa who has a more severe punishment than a regular woman who has relations with another man. And when the Torah talks about stoning her, it says that they should stone her, and she will die. Now, obviously, the Torah does not need to tell us that she will die. She's receiving the death penalty of stoning. Obviously, she's going to die. So this unnecessary word comes to include another case. And that is the following case. If at the time that her mother became pregnant, she was not holy, she wasn't Jewish yet, and then she converted, and she gave birth once she was already Jewish. So her daughter, when she becomes an Araham Erosa, and is found to be guilty, she would be punished by Skila. That's what this extra word comes to teach us. However, that extra word is only talking about the punishment of, of stoning. For everything else, she is considered to be like a convert, and therefore, she wouldn't be killed by the entrance of her father's house. And if the man is found to have lied, and to be a moitzi shemra, he would not need to pay the fine of 100 silver coins. Alright? If her mother already from when she was pregnant, and certainly when she gave birth, was already Jewish, 
So the daughter is considered to be She's considered to be a regular Jew for every matter and therefore would have the same laws as a regular Na'ara Now what happens if a regular Na'ara Yesh Lo'av, she still has a father, her father's alive, but she hasn't got the entrance of her father's house because her father doesn't own a house. Or if Yesh Lo Pesach Av, the entrance to her father's house exists, but Ve'in Av, she has no longer got a father because he died. Ha'izabiskila, she still receives the punishment of Skila, and even though it can't be done in that same location, The Torah says that she should be stoned at the entrance of her father's house, as how it should be done ideally. And if that can't be done, she still deserves that same death penalty, and it will be done in the regular place, where based in generally stone people who deserve that punishment of Skila.